Audi. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. Many of you will know that um, music is my first love. And I'm not sure if it'll be my last, but, you know, the way it's going, it probably will do. Um, But uh, music and travel, to me, very much go hand in hand, as I say at the end of every episode. Um, Because actually, the Big Travel podcast, I started because I wanted to do something like Desert Island Discs. It was a blatant ripoff, and I still have ambitions to present it one day. I don't think they'll ever let me. But um, I love music, and I've been lucky enough this week to go to Sea Eagles and Hyde Park and it was amazing. British Summertime Hyde Park is something that I used to go to every year pre-pandemic. And I remember there were so many bands I wanted to see and I always went for like the younger, cooler ones. And then I realised the year that Tom Petty died, I was like, damn, I really should have seen him instead of whoever I went to see. So I've, I've started, I've ticked off the Eagles, who I used to love when I was a kid and, and hadn't seen before. And also Robert Plant and Alison Krauss, which was amazing. I've seen them before and they just, gosh, their, their voices, their harmony, it's just stunning absolutely stunning and I love I'm digressing a little bit but I love the way that he's veered off every now and then he had that ah that Led Zeppelin voice uh, that you could you could hear total digression but I wanted to talk about how much I love music and really really enjoying bands being back on and people being in crowded places together and all squashed up against each other sharing sweat you know I'm really happy to do that I know it's not for everyone but I actually also was able to take my mum to see the Eagles and I was lucky enough to get uh, tickets for the press passes basically that take you into like a backstage bar that's like really cool and we met Tony Hadley which is amazing and I uh, I've asked him to be on the podcast and my mum just loved it because I'm kind of used to this stuff I mean it still feels like a treat you know I know I'm really lucky to to get access to stuff just because of the the work I do but um she was just absolutely loving it so it was just a really really special moment to be back at British Summertime in Hyde Park and if you haven't been do try and go because it's a great venue it's always the the stage is always facing the sunset just because of the time of year and the position it's in so you look at the stage and then you turn around and see the most amazing sunset uh, across London across head the heads of thousands of people and there's uh, bars and attractions and really nice food and drink and it's just a really really special happy day so I'm really happy to be back doing these things and I've got tickets what have I got tickets coming up for Fatboy Slim on the weekend of my birthday uh, back here on the beach in Brighton where he has played several times as many of you will know I've been to all of them so far so I couldn't miss this one and a few other things like that and I hope you are also managing to enjoy the 
some summer events, if that is your thing. Anyway, there is a point to this little ramble in that today's guest is an amazing music star, a really fantastic singer-songwriter with such a poetic, wonderful way with words. I was so excited when he was offered to me as an interview. And shall we just go in and do it? Growing up in Northern Ireland with his preacher dad playing guitar and his granny always singing, for Foy Vance, music and the nomadic lifestyle are something ingrained. As a young boy, his father moved him and the family to Oklahoma to build a church, then regularly drove him across Northern Ireland to help him find his musical tribe. He's travelled the US in search of music history, worshipping at the altar of Muscle Shoals, homeschooled his nine-year-old on a world tour with Ed Sheeran, hangs around with some of Hollywood's royalty, but calls a tiny village on the edge of the highlands his seabed home Foy Vance is on the big travel podcast when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping Kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time Kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply the only place that this phone will work is in the car. I lost my phone in Nashville about, I don't know, a month and a bit ago. And I sort of let it stay lost, but then figured actually it's kind of with kids and stuff. It's, you know, you need a phone, right? So I dug this old phone out of, the, out of the drawer and it only works in the car. I can't call anyone. I can't receive calls. <laughs> um, you lost your phone in Nashville and the only place that this phone will work in, is in your car. <laughs> Are you still living in the middle of nowhere in Scotland? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, is it a signal thing? I'm recording already, by the way. I thought we'd just launch straight into it. But um, is yeah, it? Yeah, good. Let's go. Is this it is fascinating thing? stuff, me talking about my phone. No, it is. I like to set a scene. This is a travel podcast and you, are, you lost your phone in Nashville and you're sitting, you only get a signal in your car. Because Describe to me where you are. I am sat in Aberfeldy at the foot of a mountain called, or a hill called Weem Hill. Uh, the sun is splitting the slabs. It's an absolutely glorious day here. It's a town called Aberfeldy I live in. It's a valley in the middle of nowhere, about, I'd say, an hour and 15, hour and 20 from Edinburgh. Uh, just right in the cent- right in the centre of Scotland, at the foot of the highlands. So at the, at the bottom of Kenmore Road, you can kind of see the mountains. And for 138 mile after that, there's nothing but mountains. It sounds beautiful. How did you end up there? By chance, really. Uh, I got asked to come up on uh, sort of a busman's holiday, if you like, um, which I like to do, you know those, you know those gigs where someone knows someone, a friend of a friend reaches out and goes, "Here, do you want to come and play in Aberfeldy? The money's not great, but we'll put you up for four nights in a in a killer place called the White Tower, which is like a five star self catering thing with a jacuzzi on the roof and all this kind of crack. It was just legit. So I I did it for just to come to Scotland because I love Scotland, but um, little did I know what would happen. I was driving in from Creef over the the, the old Creef Road, and y- you drive down into the valley into Aberfelly, which is right at the foot of the valley. It was October, so it was in its autumnal glory. It was all just reds and golds and, you know, burnt oranges and smoke coming out the chimney. It was like driving into the into Hobbiton or somewhere, you know. Uh, before it even got into the town, I, I, I turned to my wife at the time and my daughter and said, we're moving here. We're moving here. It took a year and a divorce, but it was still worth it. You were like, we're moving here. And we, she was like, are we hell, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty much like that. Yeah, she was like, "No, I like London. Uh, you can go do that if you want." And I did. It's just, uh, you know what? You know what it was really. It's like when you travel as much as I have been. Uh, not so much now, you know, especially with what's been going on. But up up to the up to that point of kind of stopping touring in 2017, I was on the road eight months of the year for the most part. For you know, for the most part of a decade. So, like, going on the road and traveling all the time and then coming back to somewhere like London, uh, as, as wonderful as London is, you know, it just, I could never make sense of it because I, I felt like I just had to work so hard to afford a dream that I couldn't really afford, you know, and I never got a chance to think things through, what I want to do next, you know, do I want to take a bit of time for the next record, I just had the gig all the time, and I'd come home from tour, which tour life is like living in a washing machine, and then... London felt pretty much the same when I got back. You know, it just felt like, wow, there's no, there's no respite here. I, I just really needed to uh, make quite a dramatic change and, and go somewhere that is. That I, when I come home from the road, when I come here now, it's like I feel like the sea bed. By the time I've arrived in the town, I feel like the sea bed. I sleep like you know a big bag of concrete left out in the rain. The first night I come home, all the time, just the silence and the stillness of the place and the lack of human intent is. Is uh, very inspiring. It's it's incredible how, how how places can can have that effect on us, and you know, to me, that's why travel is is so important in many ways. But was it a sense of of recognition almost when you got there for the first time, or just like this is the place I want to make my home? I think there was perhaps a bit of recognition in it as well. I mean, I, I don't know if I could pinpoint what that is exactly, but like I say, I hadn't even arrived in the town and I felt a sense of home. I felt a sense of call, like drawn. I just felt so drawn to this place. And, and you know, I've since found out that there, there are tons of songwriters, writers, luthiers, poets, painters, sculptors uh, that move to this area on a regular basis. So it's kind of, it's clearly got something. It's almost like you can, I don't know about you, but I get this with people as well. I kind of, you know, sometimes it might even be in the street or across the bar or, you know, through a different contact or a friend of a friend, how suddenly you're, you're drawn to someone and you, you know that that person is going to be important in your life or has the potential to be important in your life. Yeah, right. That's cool. That, I guess I get it with people as well. You know, you meet people in, in a group of folks and you don't get a chance to chat to them, but you can just tell by the look of them that they're sound. Yes. Absolutely. You know, like if I was given, if I was given, the, if the opportunity arose for us to sit next to each other, I'm sure we'd get on famously. You know that. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, that. I can, I can, I can absolutely feel that we'd have a pint. How much I'd take a few drinks, but if we'd have a pint or a coffee or something like that. I only saw you before you turned your camera off. I only saw you for what 15 seconds, and I already thought we could definitely hang. We could definitely have a pint, you and I. <laughs> well, we should do it in real life sometimes. So, I, um, I don't. I know you've got your own podcast, and um, I wanted to ask you about how you've been recording it. But I've only been uh, recording remotely, not with everyone. You know, most of the time, I'd like to travel to meet people face to face because I love that sort of energy that you. Yeah. You know, I can feel it like going between us when you're sitting face to face with someone like a like a, a big ball of fire almost you know sort of you're passing back between you passing the baton um and now i'm thinking about those cheesy sort of psychological experiments they do when everyone's got to throw a cushion at you you know you're the person to talk oh, yeah. to. kind of kind of like that and um you know recording remotely is meant it opens the world to many many people all around the world but it's um it's a it's a different way of energy and i suppose that's something the pandemic has sort of meant we've had to adapt to that but um what i'm leading up to is tell tell us a little bit about your own podcast well it's called the vinyl supper the premise is loosely uh 
like if you if you knew you were going to have your last meal for whatever reason, you don't have to be on death row. Maybe we just know that there's a big comet's about to come into us and it's going to hit us on the 26th of August at three o'clock in the afternoon. So we all decide, you sit down, we're all going to have our favorite meal and we're going to listen to our favorite records. So it, what do you have for starter and what do you listen to while you're eating it? What do you have for main? What do you have for dessert and what songs do you listen to as you're having them? That's kind of the premise of the podcast, but it, as, as well, you know, no matter what the premise is, invariably <laughs> conversation goes its own way, doesn't it? And you've had some great people on there. Yeah, yeah, it's some it's some killer guests. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun because it was in the middle of it was in the middle of the lockdown. And one of the things that I mean, I didn't miss touring in the sense that I don't, you know, I don't miss living out of a suitcase and you know seeing nothing but stage doors and incredible places where you'd love to go and explore, but there isn't time. That can be frustrating. Um, but one of one of the things that I did miss was the sort of camaraderie of you know when you're on the road, people come to your shows when you're in their town and you hang out and you catch up. And so the podcast seemed like an ideal way. Actually, it was a, it was more just me wanting to hang out with, <laughs> with mates. I mean, all but two people in the entire podcast are, are just friends of mine. So it was more just me trying to get the hang. <laughs> yeah. And again, like going back to unusual ways of doing it when we were all isolated from each other, I'll obviously move on to travel in a second, but did I read, I don't know if you still are, that you're a, a, sing, a fellow single parent. I think that was, harder on us in many ways um you know being isolated from people and having that responsibility for someone else all on your own well it's you know single parent i would have considered myself that at one point but i'm a single parent to a girl who's about to turn 19 so she's a she's parenting me if anything at the minute (laughs) parentification central over here it can be tricky but uh, thankfully through the pandemic my my two boys their their mummy's still well in the picture right how old are they uh five and two Oh, my God, you're in the thick of it. I've got two boys. They're seven and nine. So, yeah, yeah. right. You know what I'm talking about. I do indeed. You, I, I love your, well, your lyrics, absolutely. But also your turn of phrase. Um, and, and when you talk, you can tell, you know, you talked about being at home on the seabed and uh, sleeping like a block of concrete. And obviously, you know, your lyrics and your singers and your songwriting as well. You're a natural born storyteller. But did did I, I read correctly that you, you get your storytelling skill from your father, who was a preacher? Yeah, you read that right. Yeah, he was a preacher, an incredible raconteur at that. Tell me a little bit about yeah, him he, growing up in, and growing up in Northern Ireland. Well, what I'll say about him was that, like, that's, that's where the gateway opened for me, uh, because, there, you know, growing up where I grew up, there was always music in the house. There was always music in the house. And being that he was a preacher, there was always people around the house and there was always singing of old hymns or whatever but even when it wasn't hymns my dad would have the guitar out or my granny would be singing and there was always music and I always loved it I was always part of it I always joined in and sang but it was it was through my dad that I that I really got uh, the bug in, in the way that I did I, you know what it was I came home from school I, I was maybe five or six and I come home from school and I could hear him playing in the kitchen the guitar as he often did but this time he was on his own and I was looking at him through the glass and he didn't see me because his eyes were closed and he was just absolutely lost in his own world. And I knew there and then I was like, I, I need to get to where he is and quick. And I was always singing even at that point, but there was something about that moment really resonates with me to this day. Like there was something different about it. He wasn't doing it for to get people to sing along. He wasn't doing it to try and lead people in worship. He wasn't doing it to, to impress my granny or make her smile or make my mum smile. You know, he was doing it just because that's what he was doing and he, he couldn't not do it. 
type thing. Uh, not that I understood all that in the moment. <laughs> I was only five, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I remember feeling distinctly different, you know, and just going, wow. So he was from the States, was he? How did he get to Northern Ireland? Oh, no, no, no. He's from Northern Ireland or was mm-hmm. from Northern Ireland. Uh, he, he was born in East Belfast, but he became a preacher. He was, a, he was a preacher at a strain of church called the Church of Christ, which is an American uh, brand. Do you call it a brand or a strain? I don't know. Denomination. Don't know. That's the word I'm <laughs> yeah, not a brand. I don't think it's a brand. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, it's an American denomination. Um, so they had invited him out to go and speak at some of their churches or whatever. Uh-huh. And when he was out there, they were like, hey, there's a need for a church in a tiny little town called Canton, Oklahoma. Um, the church needs built, like literally built bricks and mortar. Um, and then it needs a pastor. So my dad said, I, okay. I called my mom said, do you want to move to Oklahoma? I don't think she was too keen, but my dad was already keen. So my mom and my, me and my three older brothers were shipped out. And we lived in Canton, Oklahoma, while my dad literally built this church, you know, with the, with the other worksmen and then preached in it. How old were you at the time? Eight months when we moved over and I think five, five when we moved back. Do you remember anything about so, it? Do you know what? I mean, I want to say yeah, but I don't know how much of that is I, I've pieced together from pictures and audio tapes. We used to make audio tapes for each other when we were there. We would sing songs or tell stories and send them back to my granny and my cousins and uncles and whatnot. And they do the same in return, you know, uh, and send it all back. So I And we would listen to those tapes periodically over the years, you know, laugh at it or whatever. So I think I don't know how much of it I genuinely remember and how much of it I'm sort of just piecing together with all these, you know, fragments of information that I've been gleaning. Because it must have been a very a, a curious time for a, a kid from, well, for a family from, from Northern Ireland to travel, but also, you know, considering what was going on. You, you and I are born in the same year, I think. So what was going on back at home in Northern Ireland, you know, at that time? Yeah, probably my older brothers, uh, like Easton and Colin, the, the eldest two, they would definitely remember a lot of that with uh, you know, because Easton moved to where he was, yeah, he'd have been 15 by the time we moved back. So he was in, he was like doing peewee league and in the, you know, in the junior football club and the other brother was in the band, you know, the marching band playing the quad drum. So they had, they had more of an experience of, of America uh, and what it would, you know, what it was really like than, than ever I did. So I imagine the change for them moving back to Ireland was way more stark than ever it was for me. I'm wondering if it had a subconscious influence on you and your music because the the music that you went on to write I mean I don't know if that you know happened when you were quite young as well your, your early influences but you know it's very in the in the vein of the American sort of singer songwriter traveling man tradition you know it's it's got a got it not tradition sorry but it's, it's got those vibes you know correct, correct me if I'm reading it, it wrong not remotely wrong no it's a uh... Yeah, I love that music. That was always a huge part of of my life growing up. My dad was my dad listened to all that American folk uh, and old gospel. You know, like Mahalia Jackson was one of his favorites. And then my mom would listen to fifties music and stuff like that, fifties, sixties. Eldest brother was into everything. He was an avid record collector. You know, just anything from Meatloaf to Michael Jackson and everything in between, whatever was in the top forty type thing. Uh, the next brother to him was into like the jam and the who, but also had these old eight tracks. I don't know if you remember them, but this eight track player and it played old like a trucker music, Chris Christopherson, that sort of thing. Love it. And then the other brother, Paul, the next one up to me, he was into uh, sort of rude boy stuff and, and punk uh, eventually, you know, like the clash and the dam, the sex pistols and all that. And 
I guess what I'm saying is it all sounded like music to me, but if you're going to sit with an acoustic guitar, the one out of those that sort of naturally you're going to gravitate to is, to me anyway, the, you know, the sort of folk tradition. So how did you end up becoming a performer? Can you remember a moment that sort of you know, changed things a little bit? By mistake, really. Um, or not mistake, but just by default rather than design. Uh, I was sang, like I say, I, I had the bug from a very, very young age. It, all I did all day was music. You know, mates would be out playing football on the street and I'd be in trying to learn how to play Axl Rose with my toe. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely did that. It took an entire night, but I could play Axl Rose with my feet by the end of it. <laughs> you, you, or not Axl Rose, not Axl Rose. What do you call it? Axl Foley. You know the one I'm talking about? The, uh, oh, right. Yeah, I was going to say Yeah, yeah. so I was... I was just bitten with, with that. So I guess after a while, my dad was going like, he needed to do something. Like, so he would take me to local karaoke competitions and, and or drive me way up the country to do them and stuff like that. And real cheesy stuff, you know, but, uh, but it was the only thing he knew to do. He was, he did, you know, he wasn't a player himself. He wasn't involved in a scene, wasn't even aware there was a music scene in Northern Ireland. Was the only thing he knew to do was that, you know, look at, look at these competitions that were, in the papers and drive me to them. And so, yeah, I did that. And then this guy saw me at one of those things and I joined his band, a soul band. I remember he came and saw me on a, on a Sunday. And by that Thursday, that was it. We, we were started. I had to learn 24 songs and we had three nights a week for the next four months or something. And I stayed in that band for two years. And it was only after two years, I'm embarrassed to say, that I realized, wait a minute, this is the only thing I do. I don't work anywhere else wow, you can make money from music. And then, you know, you start to meet other musicians and you start to hear of other songwriters that are actually, you know, doing their own thing and that's all they're doing. And I just, I guess I just uh, follow the thread of interest, really. It's funny when things like that happen, you don't realise how lucky, I, I don't want to say luck because obviously you create your own luck, but, you know, you weren't having to sell insurance. So you'd actually accidentally become a professional musician. <laughs> just sort of let it You're happen. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And with regards to luck, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Exactly. No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't mean by luck. I mean, it kind of wasn't by design. You know, you just kept on yeah. doing it. That's it. That, that's it's Oftentimes I'm asked by, you know, younger musicians coming up, you know, like what, any advice, any advice? And I'm thinking, shit, I, I don't know. The only advice I can give you is stay interested. You know what I mean? If you're interested in it, then it will be interesting to others. You know what I mean? Just, I don't know. I don't know any other way. Building a picture. So the family travelled when you were young, which was you know, pretty unusual, definitely in Northern Ireland, also in, in the north of England when I was growing up at the same time. I'm not sure if you know, the, the, the people in, down in London were doing it, but uh, we, we certainly yeah. weren't. And uh, God, if anyone went to Disney or anything like that, they were rich, you know. Well, anyone yeah. had a soda stream, they were rich. You know, it was we didn't. It was a different time, really, wasn't it? Oh, so, I hear you. I don't know. I suddenly pulled soda stream out of the air. I think that is my mark of like middle class. Um, that I still haven't managed to achieve. Well, I could probably buy one, but I just haven't. <laughs> I know, right? I know. I used to love going to Mark McMahon's house because he had a soda stream. Mark McMahon was posh, as far as I'm concerned. That's like totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Really yep. <laughs> um, I thought so too back then. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So you're driving, you were doing a bit of traveling around the country, a bit of gigging and that sort of thing. When did, do you remember when you first went as a, you know, a cognizant adult abroad somewhere? I think the first holiday I ever went on on my own was to Crete at 17. But to be honest with you, 
the thought of travel and moving around, having a sort of somewhat nomadic lifestyle is, I think that's ingrained in me. Um, because not only, yeah, it was very unusual for a family from Bloomfield Estate to then move to America. That was wild. Like, wow, you move where? What? You know, it was crazy. Um, but when we moved back, we moved house, I think, when I was with, I was I lived with my mom and dad till I was, what, 22? And we moved 19 times. Why was that? You know, I, I don't know. My dad, I think my dad was a bit of a nomad too, you know, and uh, just kept darting around from place to place. I'm almost saying this is a movie. I think you should you should write the uh, write the script. It's really nice, actually. Sort of traveling, music and preaching. You can kind of see, you know draw par- parallels between those, can't you? Yeah, do you know what you, you can. I mean, I think I tried to look for the opposites in them for the most part of my career, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I've always been naturally aware of the similarities. Of course, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that is really interesting. So you ended up in London, didn't you? Tell me. Tell me what happened there. Were you sort of... I left my mum and dad's house, like I say, at uh, 22 to move in with my girlfriend at the time in, uh, in Bangor. And I lived there for a year. And then we got married in that year. And then we moved to Lanzarote. Did you? I lived out there. <laughs> yeah, I lived, well, I missed lived out that there bit in my research. Did you? Why did you move to Lanzarote? Brilliant. I love it. Do you know what? It was just that, like, I'd heard about this old tradition where, you know, folks would get married, and when they got married, they would just elope for a year. They'd, they'd be away. That's the wrong word. Actually, elope means to go and get married, doesn't it? But you know what I'm saying? Like, they would just disappear for a year. Uh, yeah. I just thought, that's cool as shit. Let's do that. And we did. <laughs> actually, I was trying to get to Portugal, I think, so as I could get some gigs and bars and just be away from home for a bit and figure shit out, figure out what we wanted to do. Um, but Lanzarote just came up by by chance, weirdly, and, and we ended up there. And then I came back, moved to Belfast, dotted around a couple of houses there, and realized as much as I love Belfast and I love my home country, um, doing what I was doing and what I wanted to do, the ceiling was pretty low, mm. and I just knew I had to get out. It wasn't that I wanted to leave home. You know, I had, I had, a, I had a killer group of friends and good vibe going there for sure, good community of artists and all that kind of crack. But it was just, I needed to be in London. So was, if, if there was someone that couldn't do a support tour last minute, I could hop in the car and be in Manchester. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it you, was one of the, you, you do. Absolutely. I think that's one of the things that keeps at certain industries, you know, quite difficult for people to enter is that you do need to like, like need to, but you know, it kind of helps if you've got family and friends and connections and sofas you can kip on in London. And, you know, it, it, it's a capital. Yeah. You, People moan in the UK often about it being the centre of things and us all being a bit London-centric, but I think it happens the world over. You know, you've got to go, you've got to, go to the big city, haven't you? Yeah, you do. And I mean, I think people talking about it being London-centric, I mean, it, it is London-centric, but I'm not, I don't think that's a bad thing. Or I mean, it is politically. The fact that Scotland's under <laughs> rule with those buffoons in Westminster is a joke. But yeah. like, uh, like culturally... London is the shit. Like, I mean, it's an it's an incredible, it's an incredible city. The history of it, what you know, what it stands for, what it represents, what it's birthed in the world. No wonder people are drawn to it. And and I think you don't have to go to a city anymore. I guess you can you can you can build shit up online and and then go and tour or whatever. But I think if you're a live artist, 
you know, you like playing live, I think you've got to go to London at some point because that's where it's all happening, you know? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I was reading about the traveling around the USA you did to, I think, writing an album and also discovering, you know, music and food and culture and this just amazing, epic musical journey around the States. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, do you know what? That was a, it's something that I never would have considered ever before in my life, but things change after you're 45. As soon as you, as soon as you clock 45, it's like, ah, fuck it, I'll do whatever. It doesn't <laughs> matter as long as it's good crack. So this came up, it was like a TV show, for Euro news and uh, in Europe only. That's the only reason I signed up for it. I was going, this isn't going to be shown in Northern Ireland, is it? Because I get ribbed. You have heard so of the, and, the internet, presumably. You know, I think they even. I know, <laughs> I know, but I'm not very au fait with it, and I don't, I don't pay enough attention to it, so I just forget that other people do. Uh, yeah, I know. But listen, it, it ended up being really good fun. I mean, it was, it was, it felt incredibly corporate. Uh, you know, because it's all, they're wanting me to be very smiley and stuff like that. And we, I had a few interesting sort of moments with the with the director, but uh, actually it turned out to be a really cool thing. All I had to do was I would go to whatever gallery they had on, meet whoever's curating it or one, maybe one of the artists or whatever, have a chat, walk around, look at the art, go to somewhere where the, someone makes incredible food, eat that food and talk to the people that made it. Uh, by the end of it, I was going, this is incredible, actually, just meeting tons of you know the hand-picked people that are incredible at what they do and you get to chat with them for a while was that the trip that you recorded an album on uh no but it but it definitely was it sparked the idea that i so the main reason i took the gig was i, I was excited to see santa fe for sure i was excited to go to detroit of course i was excited to go to all the places that we we, we went but uh one of the places was going to muscle shoals and going to fame mm. studios and so, so that, as soon as I saw that, I just thought, yeah, because I want to go there. And but rather than go there, because I'd never went there before, I'd been in, I'd been in, in the vicinity loads of times, but I didn't want to go into a place like that and and go in for what ten minutes, walk around and then leave and with a pamphlet or some shit. I thought when I go and see that place, I want to I want to actually be there for a bit. So this afforded me the opportunity. To go in, and I ended up getting you know the chat uh, in depth with um, Mrs. Hall, Rick's wife. Uh, oh. I forgot their name, embarrassingly, uh, Vera. Oh, yeah, that was. I didn't even know I was meeting her when I met her. It was really emotional, kind of like her husband had just passed. One of the most influential producers, certainly mm. in my realm of interest. Yeah, it was a profound experience. I flipping loved it. So, by the time I left, it was like I'm coming back here to record. Uh, and yeah, and they, they, you know. They say, oh, they all say that. They all say that. And I said, no, but I am. I think a month and a half later, I was back out and we did the From Muscle Shoals record and then went up went up to Memphis and did it to Memphis album the day after. Amazing. For, for those people who don't know uh, Muscle Shoals and the history, tell, it, tell us a little bit about it and what it was like to, to record there. It must have been incredible. It was incredible. So 
all you listeners, you do know Muscle Shoals. Yeah, exactly. Shoals. Yeah. Even, even, even if you don't, if you've heard Land of the Thousand, if you've heard Wilson Pickett, Otis Redding, mm. Percy Sledge, you know what I mean? Like, come on. Aretha Franklin recorded, uh, oh, oh, never love the man the way that I, I love you. You know that song? Yeah. Uh, what's it called? I never loved the man. Yes. No, I ain't never, I ain't never, I ain't never, no, no. Love the man the way that I, I love you. She recorded it in that room. And Brilliant. the weirdest thing for me with, with regards, so that's that's the room, right? Yeah. Now, with regards, with regards to my experience in it, the, when she recorded that song, they tried to record it for, I think it was something like eight hours. Ours, I mean, Rick Hall, the producer there, was notorious for making the singers sing for that long until their voices were so tired that they were just growling it. So they were trying to get this song for ages and they couldn't get it. And then a, a young Wurlitzer player at the time by the name of Spooner Oldham started to play that little riff. And they were like, that's it. That's it. Let's get going. So when I was recording a song called Pain Never Hurt Me Like Love on my record, I was in the vocal booth looking out into the same room at the same Wurlitzer and the same Spooner Oldham playing it. Amazing. Like for, a, for a split second, I saw a lifetime. It was wild. I mean, I was still I was singing a song, so I couldn't dwell on the thought, but I was very aware of it going, holy shit, that's where he sat and at the very same Wurlitzer when he came up with that riff. That's amazing. We all know so well. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was just a, it was wild. I was like a fanboy. I was an absolute fanboy in that session. I really was. Yeah, no, it's it's just, I've I watched a documentary, but I knew about it before. I, I come from a family of um, of musicians as well. I know I'm not myself. And I, I, there was quite a famous documentary on it not so long ago. And it just, yeah. just looked incredible. You know, if those walls could talk, and I'm, I'm just assuming that the acoustics are just, amazing well that, that's the sound of the room the sound of all that sweat box sound that greasy sweat box sound that that permeates all the music that came from there you, when you walk into the room you're like ah there's why you know what i mean yeah you're not gonna get a i mean you could probably sample that room and, and get some app that re- tries to recreate it but n- nothing's ever gonna recreate that you know what i mean to, if you to make that type of music you've got to go to that room um, what was it like living there or staying there for the duration of it? What were you doing? Were you just where were you going back? Where were you sleeping? You know, were you popping into any like bars? You know, what was going on? We we recorded it old school too, so it was like two days recording and one day mixing and out. So we went in and we stayed at the uh, that was it called the Hampton Sheridan Hampton, a huge big hotel, and it's yeah, it's famous. <laughs> it's it's got thousands of pictures all over the place of all the people that, you know, all the the people that come there because that place has been a mecca for every musician since. Decades of musicians from all over the world were coming there to see where all this shit started, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, anyone who's anyone's ever stayed at this hotel, was it, it's, but, but it's still, it's like, a, it's, it's not, it's nothing special, put it that way. Where do you think in the States, where has been uh, the, the location that has, like the most musical inspiration, you know, history, that connection, a part, of course, from Muscle Shoals. Do you know what? With all the history and all that culturally, I, I mean, I don't know. That, that, let me give that a bit of thought. But the first, the first place that came to mind uh, 
it's not that it's famous or for anything or that anyone was from there, but it's the one place that I drove into and I, I had a similar feeling that I had when I was driving in the Aberfeld. It was like, there's just something about this place. Uh, and it's a town called Wimberley, about an hour and 15 minutes outside of uh, outside of Austin. Yeah, a, f- a friend of mine lived there and he said, look, why don't you come stay? I'm out of town. I was out doing a, a thing called South by Southwest, which is a mm-hmm. big sort of music festival out there in Austin. And yeah, he offered me his place. And that, there's something about Wimberley. There's a big sign on one of the walls. It says, Wimberley, a little slice of heaven. And I kind of, <laughs> it just is so still and nothing really happens. But yet there's a, a super cool little guitar store with incredible gear. I don't know. It's filled with interesting people. It's just in the middle of nowhere and very quiet, you know, right at the foot of the hill country or mount, mountain country, is it called? Hill country. That sounds amazing. And these, these places, in fact, I haven't, I've been to quite a bit of the States, but they're all the, the musical places I haven't been. I haven't been to Nashville. I haven't been to South by Southwest. Um, I haven't been, I want to go to all the music. I want to go to Old Orleans, you know, I want to go to all these places. Sorry, New yeah. Orleans. You know what? Old Orleans was a bar um, in Brighton. It's New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> a bar in Brighton that closed about 20 years ago. And I was like, why do I, I just want to go there so much? I, uh, I kept forget, got the name wrong. Um, and so, but your time and, you know, going from that tiny little uh, town that sounds really magical and again one of those things that you can't put your finger on you know how you just feel a connection to a place or a person or something like that um but your your time in the states has also been quite um quite highbrow shall we say with an eclectic mix of celebrities hanging out with beyonce and jay-z and um uh what's the guy from breaking bads the the blonde attractive one uh aaron aaron paul is oh yeah aaron paul yeah and of course, Courtney Cox, who randomly has become your mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's, what's going on there? I mean, how does that shit happen? I don't know. You live your life and you bump into folks and you, you know. Yeah. That's it. Know. Although, I mean, the, Be- the, Beyonce, the Beyonce and the Jay-Z thing, though, let's not make it sound like we, we hang out. We, you know, I was in their company one night. We sang mm-hmm. some songs type thing. They came. It was an after show. Ed had done a gig and uh, we come back to the... Uh, this after show at the, a, a place called the Hounds. It's the Hounds Tooth, owned by Snow Patrol down in New York. And they came to that. So, there, you know, there's a handful of us there and we were just passing the guitar around. In fact, <laughs> I, kept, I kept asking them to, asking Jay-Z to rap and kept calling him Jay-Z. Here, Jay-Z, give, give us a rap. <laughs> I love your tenacity for that. I get really annoyed when my kids use, my kids use Z instead of, instead of Z. So, absolutely, I'm going to call him Jay-Z. If I ever have drinks with him in a New York bar owned by Snow Patrol. I'll, uh, I'll let yeah. you know and I'll, I'll do the same. And uh, Listen, yeah, so- he, bar- he barely said a word. He just, uh, like he just thought we were all nuts. He's going, who are these crazy <laughs> Irish people? He probably just didn't understand anything you were saying. <laughs> probably, yeah. He didn't even know. He didn't even know. <laughs> um, so I'm guessing you spent quite a lot of time in LA as well then. Yeah. What do you think? You know what? I, I mean, LA, I couldn't live in LA. I could live like somewhere like Topanga Canyon. Yes. I or, you know, or, you know, if I was to win the lottery, Malibu, that would be mm-hmm. the dream dream, obviously. But, um, but LA, I mean, no, but I, I do like the, I do like the, there's just the positive energy out there when it's, when it's sunny all the time, people just have a really incredible energy. But I think after a while I would, I'm too cynical for that. I need, I need to be back here surrounded by Scots. Yeah. <laughs> or Irish. Be- 
yeah, or, or something uh, more real and grounded. I absolutely, I absolutely get that. Well, I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know if I'd say more real, just more for uh, more. Uh, uh, yeah, no, you can't you know put your saying. finger on it. Yeah, I see. You can't put your finger on it, can you? I guess sometimes I think sense of humour has a lot to, to like. I don't mean good sense of humour, bad sense of humour, like similar sense of humour, points of reference, and um, exactly cultural things in common. It's funny, isn't it? Because you know, I love much as I love travelling. Um, and we all love traveling. You also do, do gravitate towards your own people sometimes. And I don't necessarily mean by nationality. I mean, you know, the people you, you connect. Yeah, with. you click. I'm not doing yeah. very good at explaining myself today, but I think you're getting it. And I think, I think, you know, people that listen to the podcast will absolutely get it because I used to be rambling and talking shit and getting emotional. Uh, listen, <laughs> I'm sure they're very sentient, uh, erudite and charming people. They'll fill in the gaps. Absolutely sentient, erudite and charming. Can't even say it. Uh, so when you got, you got signed by um, Ed Sheeran and his label, didn't you? And, and, and I've toured quite, quite extensively with Ed, as I like to call him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so me too. Most people do. Yeah, exactly. You do actually call him out. I've never called him anything yeah. uh, because we've never been in the same room. But, you know, you never know. He might come on the podcast. He may well do. So, yeah, tell me about yeah. your tours with Ed Sheeran. You know what? It was a, uh, that came at a time, like the first tour I ever did with him. I remember he, he sort of reached out to me um, about going on the tour. And I, I was 38 at the time thinking, wet, like, When's a wee bally Irish thirty-eight-year-old man that sings songs about heartache and death ever going to get a chance to go on tour with a, an upcoming bona fide pop star like this? This would be crazy. I should definitely say yes to this just because of the wildness of it. So I said yeah, but then it got even wilder because then that that was around the time that I just moved to Aberfeldy and broke up with my wife. So me and my daughter were on tour with Ed for a year and a half like traveling on his bus. I, I went to Ed and I said, look, strange turn of events here. Shit has hit the fan and uh, without getting into it, Ella's with me. I may not be able to do the tour. And he said, fuck that, that man. Bring her. Wow. Come on the bus. Bring her. So that's the measure of that, man. That's how the relationship really started. We knew each other, you know, we'd passed each other's company a few times and I, I'd, you know, I'd heard him play. Uh, we sat and exchanged songs one night in, in Ireland at, a, at Arthur's Day. We He was playing around the corner from me and he came around. We sat the five in the morning song exchanging. So we knew each other a bit and I knew that he was special. Um, but that really kind of opened a whole new road for the pair of us, really, I, I think. Um, yeah, he was a, a real godsend, a real godsend. I, um, I'm you. very great, grateful for that, man. You're you're amazing yourself taking your daughter on tour. I mean, how how was that? Wild, beautiful, glorious, sketchy, incredibly heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. It was a, it was everything that you'd imagine. You know, it was. Uh, I mean, the cool bit was she here's this nine year old kid on a bus with Ed Sheeran and the Rizzle Kicks. <laughs> you know, she was living the dream. You know, anyone that was coming along, she's got all these pictures of her at nine years old with Harry Styles and uh, oh flip, I've forgotten his name, the, the Irish one. I know him too. This is embarrassing. Can I you can edit this out. bit? So yeah, absolutely. So we know him. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't really edit it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's uh, which Irish one? I don't know. From from what? From the band? Oh, uh, Nile, 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 Nile Horan. Is it? 
Niall, yeah. Niall, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that. That's embarrassing. Um, Sorry, yeah, Niall. She's got all these pictures. But I don't know, right? She's got all these kind of, you know, memories of, of, of that kind of stuff, which was just wild for a nine-year-old, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. But then, yeah, the reality was, you know, we were going through some shit and we were cooped up on a bus with a load of other people and I was trying to homeschool and uh, also trying to, you know, convalesce as and when I could. Uh, I, I wasn't... I, some, some of it I was good at and some of it I, I could have done better. <laughs> could do better, just like um, all my school reports. It's, that is intense. Absolutely must have been intense. Where did you go? Yeah, it really was. Uh, well, we started in the UK. We did a tour of the UK. Uh, did we do Europe too? Then, then we went to the States. A lot in America, actually, at that time. What's your daughter doing but now? It, Say she's 19. Well, she works with me at the minute, running, running my socials, because I, yeah, I'm not very good at socials. She sounds amazing. What a brilliant start in life. You know, we talk about traveling and, you know, obviously you were going through your own relationship trauma and, you know, obviously, you know, there's a lot left unsaid there, you know, especially with having your daughter. Um, but, you know, traveling can be traumatic at the best of times, even if you're just getting stuck at an airport, you know, because you've got a canceled flight, let alone the trauma, the stress, the strain, yet the beauty yeah. and the awe and the opportunity and all those. What a great start for her in life. Really yeah. fantastic, you know, despite what must have been quite difficult moments, you know, overall, when you look back, wow. Oh, yeah, and listen, it's, it's, more, it's more silver, silver lining than cloud, really, obviously. I mean, what it, what it did for her and I, is unbreakable, you know what I mean? It's like we were solid. It solidified. I mean, we were already solid, but that uh, an experience like that really binds you, you know. Um, this is probably going to be difficult for you, but I'm going to ask you if I had to ask you, which I am asking you, to name one song that reminds you of a memorable time and place of travel. What is that song, and what is the memory? Hmm. That is tricky, actually. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't give you the first answer because it's one of my songs, so I'll sound like a narcissist, <laughs> which, which I am, obviously, but I'm trying to hide that because we're in a, we're in a podcast. Um, but that's the first one that came to mind. Let me, let me think. Let me think. No, you uh, can always do that. You can always do that. Just as long as there's a poetic story involved in it, you know. Like I'm, I want, I'm looking for that moment. Do you know what? Does it matter if it's? I mean, the memory that comes now might come across as slightly morose. Uh, no, absolutely. No, no, we just want to hear the story. Oh, okay. Well, well, I think it was, uh, yeah, I went to New York. I don't think I was playing there. I think I was writing or something. And it was after, you know, the buildings were leveled, uh, like newly after, freshly after that. Mm. And I went, I went down to Ground Zero and there was a vagabond sitting there uh, playing a flute. He was just playing Amazing Grace on repeat. Um, and I, 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 re I recorded it for a bit. I gave him money, everybody. Don't worry. I gave him some money too. Don't worry. But I never did anything with it. I just wanted to record it for me. I, it just felt like, you know, when you hear music and spaces like that and you're going, you know, like that, that, that story of when the Titanic was sinking, the string quartet decided not to get on the boat. They sat in the deck, got their, got their instruments out and started playing Amazing Grace. 
because they realize this is what music is. This is what music truly is. And the face of it, in the face of death, music will peacify you. It'll, you know, like, uh, I know that's a really, that's a really morbid thought. Sorry, everybody. Travel's great. We're all Go gonna to die. Magaluf. Yeah, we're <laughs> all gonna die. Gonna die. Just, <laughs> just listen to some music when you're doing it, and you'll be fine. Absolutely, you know, I will absolutely go with that. I will go with that. Really wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the Big Travel Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been lovely chatting with you. Thank you so much, Foy. It was brilliant speaking to you and just an absolute thrill to be talking to great musicians, talking about music, talking about travel. I just feel incredibly lucky. Thank you for listening to the Big Travel Podcast. We'll be back very soon. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.